Thanks for listening to Covenant Church Podcast. We hope that this message is exactly what you need to hear. Praise God. Jeez. Oh. I'm like, I have to preach. It's like the applause, like there's a timer in the back. Um, but thank you so much. Um, just being so blessed, uh, even just in our time away, just being loved by you guys. You didn't treat us like Bruno from Encanto and kept us in the wall, but you, you prayed for us, and we've been so blessed by that. And I'm so glad, like, um, this morning to be bringing the Word of God once again, almost a year since I've done this. Someone on staff, I won't name their name. Their name is Joe, actually. He said it's, it's like riding a bike. Liar. It's not like riding a bike <laughs> so far. But... Um, just so thankful uh, for prayers and just who you are as a church. Uh, shown us Jesus, you've loved us and restored us. So praise God for that. This morning, I'm going to be talking about uh, restoration, and we're going to be in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles or you can check out the screens, we're going to be in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and we're going to read just a few verses here from verse 15 to, to, to 18. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, we know that your word has the power to transform lives, Lord. That your, your word has the power to, 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 to restore us. So, Father, we pray for that this morning. What needs restoration, transformation. Jesus, may you shine your light upon that. And, Father, we pray by faith that it will be so. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus', Jesus name, amen, amen. So, Easter is done, we're back. You guys don't look as, um, as good as you did last week, I know that for sure, and uh, we're back, but it's not the end of the story, right? Last week, we celebrated the resurrected king, Jesus. We came, we sang songs, we even had a worship mashup, and we, we sang a bunch of songs, you guys went and, and, and had ham, I don't know what you have after Easter, but you had something, and we celebrated what Jesus had done, the finished work on the cross. It is finished, Jesus said, and that is what we were celebrating, that we have been redeemed. But it's not the end of the story. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of something new, the beginning of a coming together of a new family that are, that are in Christ. And so in John chapter 21, we find that this is a rich chapter with so many lessons, so many things that we can glean 
from, from, what, from who Jesus is and what we are supposed to be like as the church. And so we find in this story that it is just the beginning, it's not over. I, I used to be one of those jokers that used to leave Marvel movies, and I know it's stereotypical, a guy talking about Marvel movies, but I used to leave at the end. I used to be like, yeah, it's over, and I'll just grab my popcorn. And I was, I was just that joker beating everyone to the bathroom, but I didn't know that there was a post-credit scene, that everyone in the movie house knew something that I didn't know, that even though the credits were rolling, the movie wasn't over. And this is what John is doing in this passage. Jesus has died, rose again, he's appeared to the disciples, but John sees that this story, this interaction with Peter is so important. This is a post-credit scene of the book of John. Don't leave yet, it's not over. Jesus is about to do something. And so we jump into this story. And, and before we even just jump right in, we have to back up a little bit. What happens in John chapter 21, it mirrors what happens in Luke chapter 5 when Peter first meets Jesus. He was with his friends, they were fishing, they were toiling, and they had caught nothing. And in John 21, it's the same. They'd been fishing all night, they had caught nothing. And then Jesus shouts out, hey, cast your nets one more time. And Peter, he obeys in Luke 5 and in John 21, he casts his net, and there's this miraculous catch. And it's the same thing, but there's a significant difference in the two passages. In the one passage in Luke chapter five, Peter didn't know Jesus. So he went on his knees and said, depart from me for I'm a sinner. But in John 21, he knew Jesus. He knew that Jesus was a friend of sinners. He knew that Jesus wasn't, wasn't pushing failures away, but was actually asking them to draw near to him. And so this time he doesn't fall to his knees, he hops out the boat and he runs to the beach to meet Jesus. This is the posture of our hearts, church. When we know Jesus, we know to run to him in the midst of failure and not to run away. The title of my message is Redeemed to Restore, but I could have called this the breakfast of failures because what's happening in this passage of scripture is exactly that. So we find here in the beginning of the story that Peter had failed Jesus. And just to give you some, some background on this story, um, we are all familiar with failure. You don't have to know the Bible, right? Anyone in here failed before? Anyone being a failure, you failed something? Everyone else with their hand down because I was actually asking you to raise your hands, you're liars, you failed. And so, <laughs> and so we see here that no one in this room has, has never dealt with failure before. In fact, the cross says this. Even the guy standing in front of you with a blazer has failed miserably that all of us had sinned longer than a CVS receipt, right? We had sinned and Jesus had to come and redeem us. We were all failures. We had all fallen short and Jesus came for us and we find that that is the DNA of Christ. That's what we see through the, the Bible from beginning to end that that there's just failure after failure after failure to remind us that there's only one who has never failed. I wanna say this, church. I don't know if I'm ushering in the, the new lead pastor next week, he's gonna come. If you didn't listen carefully last week, I'm not Steve Huber. You're like, oh, he, ta he tans nice. No, um, but, 
But as we go with expectation, next week don't come to church saying, well, he better preach the best sermon I ever heard. No. You know what? One guarantee is that church, we're all gonna fail each other. And what we should be walking around with is we should be walking around with grace in our back pocket, ready to dispense it. Because we know we have failed and we're gonna fail each other. If you're new to church, I say this all the time, you're gonna get cut off in the parking lot with a car playing oceans with a Jesus fish on the back. (laughs) We will fail. Because this is the place where we can say we have failed, but Jesus has restored and redeemed us and has pointed us to better. And so we find that this is the interaction. Peter had failed, and sometimes we make fun of Peter, but he's failed in the same way that we failed. Peter's failed in the same way we failed. And if we we back up, we find that Peter has passion, right? When you look and and you read through the scriptures and and you read carefully, you'll find that Peter's the passionate guy. Peter's the one who's like, Jesus, I will never abandon you. Jesus, I'm your ride or die. And then Jesus says, hold up, Peter. Before dawn, you'd have denied me three times. I love the passion, A for effort, but you're going to fail. And we find that even in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? I love this. We always talk about this with some of my friends and we joke around about the interaction in the garden where Jesus has said, okay, I'm gonna say this slowly. Remember, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back in three days. I can just picture Jesus looking straight at Peter and Peter going, why are you looking at me? And Peter just goes to Jesus and says, say less, and pulls out a a sword and slices someone's ear off. Like, did you understand, Peter? His passion, but he failed. He failed. And we find that he follows Jesus, and when he's asked, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? He says, no. Don't know the guy three times. This must have cut Peter to the heart. But church, this is the the joy of this passage is that when we feel we have failed Jesus, we should not run away. Say this over and over again, because we're gonna fail. We should not run away, but we should run to him, just like Peter. And so you find here, that Jesus, he goes to the beach, he goes to the Sea of Galilee, he finds these failures and he calls out from the beach, friends, friends, before they've repented, before they've made amends, friends. And then there's a fire and he makes them some fish sandwiches for breakfast. I wanna say this, church, as I was praying about this passage, if the gospel that you've heard has Jesus calling out and he's not saying friends? If the gospel that you've heard has Jesus waiting by a fire, but the fire is to burn you and not to make you breakfast, maybe you haven't heard the gospel. The gospel is good news. And it's especially good news to those who have fallen short and those who are aware that they don't measure up. So we find here that this good news, it comes to Peter in this way. 
And I want to help you out with this one last thing before we dive into this conversation is this. Jesus is not surprised by our failure. One thing that makes us run away from him is that we think he's shocked. I want to read you this short passage. If you guys can put up Luke chapter 22, verse 31 to 34. Jesus, he says this to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And this is important, church. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. When you have turned back from what? From failure. When you've turned back from denying me, I pray that you may strengthen your brothers. Jesus wasn't surprised by Peter denying him because he already knew, and he already knew that he was gonna come back for him. At church, I don't know what you wrestle with this morning and what you might feel antsy about. Maybe I can't be in, in church because I'm so rotten and so, and so dirty. You're in the right place. Jesus already knew. He already ordained this time to know that you need to know that when you get back, he's already prayed at the right hand of the Father that you'll be strengthened. Amen? That's good news. I need to hear that news. That's good news. And so we find here as well that we're restored with love. We find in this interaction that there's one common thing that's going on here. And we find that uh, in this passage that Jesus asks, he asks the same question basically three times. He asks that, that question, do you love me? Initially, Jesus says, do you love me more than these? I, I don't know what, what those are. Right, you can look at this, as he's saying, do you love me more than these other disciples? Do you love me more than these? But church, we can fine tune and laser focus it and say that, do we love Jesus more than everything? That do you love Jesus more than everything? That Jesus at number two on your love list, maybe this thing might not truly work out. We have no other loves above the love for Christ. It is important, church, for us to get this. That what Jesus is doing by these three questions is confronting the one place where all sin emanates from, the heart, our love. Church, when we, when we are wrestling and, and, and falling and, and finding that we're stuttering or running on a treadmill in, my, in our faith, I wanna ask you this question, what do you love the most? I can tell you if it's not Jesus, then my prayer this morning is that he would stir up your affections for him, that you would look at the cross, that you would see a state, that you would see that, oh my goodness, this news is not for those guys out there, this good news is for me, and that it would stir up a love for Jesus like never before. Church, if we were a church that just loves Jesus ferociously, oh my goodness, and we walked in love, we would see something that we've never, that, that would blow our minds here in Doylestown, a love for Jesus. Jesus goes straight after the heart and he says, Peter, do you love me? It's not because Jesus doesn't know if Peter doesn't love him. Jesus knows. 
But what Jesus is doing in this passage is restoration is in progress. We find that Jesus is looking at Peter and he's saying, I don't, I know, I, I don't, I, I don't doubt that you love me, but Peter, you need to know that you know, you need to say those words that you love me because right now I am confronting something. I am doing a work in your heart and I am undoing the power of guilt and shame. Have you, ever, have you ever sinned and fallen short and felt, how could I do this and love Jesus? Amen. Is that not the trick and the trick of the enemy, right? Like we're, we're you know, every youth group sermon kind of ended up like this. Well, you know, the enemy is gonna tell you, just do it, there's enough grace, Jesus doesn't mind. And then after you do it, it's like, how could you do that to Jesus? And so Jesus goes straight after that lie. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He didn't come to cancel. He didn't come to stand there in front of Peter and say, okay, Peter, so about that denial, let's talk about that. He didn't say that. He just said, do you love me? Do you love me? And we find here that Jesus, with just three questions, obliterates the power of guilt and shame that the enemy is so nifty at, 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 at throwing in our faces, and, and he, he obliterates it with three questions. Do you love me? Our church, everything, everything emanates from this place of love for Christ. I love when I was reading the profile and, and, and all these people talking about um, you know, things that they loved about. Steve, I can tell you, church, even about you, <laughs> even the pastors we follow on Instagram and on Facebook, is the first thing that comes to mind, they are lovers of Jesus. Is that what comes to mind? Not are they a good speaker, not they're a good leader, good organizer, not that they, they, they dress well, none of that. Do they love Jesus? We must be lovers of Jesus because that's where all the good things emanate from. But we come here and we find that in this line of questioning, Jesus goes and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? And at the third, do you love me? Peter knows what's going on. He denied him three times. He is grieved because he's like, okay, I get it. Jesus is going after the heart. It hurts Peter. But Jesus is not, is not doing this to hurt him. Like a surgeon, Jesus goes in with a scalpel to cut in order to cure and he says I want you to face the sin so that we can deal with it so that the power of sin can be undone church restoration without confrontation is not restoration at all we've all been in a family where people sweep things under the rug and 40 years later those things come out and we thought what had been restored and fixed was fixed but it had never been dealt with because we hadn't confronted it in love. I wanna say this church, Jesus restores, and he restores with love. Galatians 6 will tell us, it tells us that restoration is done in gentleness. It's not, it's not done to wound, but to bring back. And it's done in love. Because church, this is the greatest motivation to the call that Jesus has called us to, to love him with all our hearts and for this to come from a place of love. Everything we do 
is like clanging cymbals if it has no love. Doesn't matter what we do for Jesus, if it's not coming from a place of love, we might as well not do it. And so we find here, the last thing here, is that Peter is restored to purpose. (laughs) You know, I love this story and I resonate with this passage so much in the last year of my life, but I think all of us resonate with this in some point and some point in our lives where we've needed restoration. We resonate with the fact that when Jesus meets Peter, he calls him to follow him, right? When Jesus meets Peter, he sees Peter and he says, hey, you know what, you're fishing for fish right now, but Peter, here's something really cool that I have for you. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And if you're new to church, fisher of men, it's not a Christian dating app for women. Fisher of men just means Jesus is calling Peter to fish for people and put them into his kingdom. He's been given a purpose. And Jesus, when he comes back and, and he talks to Peter, he says, do you love me? And the, and the call, the purpose, if you love me, then get to work. And he says, and this is the work that I have for you. Feed my sheep. I love that Jesus doesn't say, and Peter, when you come back, listen, you need to go through a three-step plan and I'm gonna make sure that, he just says, Jesus, he just says, Peter, you're a general. Go back in there. You've been restored. Restoration. How powerful that is for the other disciples who knew that Peter had denied Jesus to know that Jesus himself said, Peter, here you go, right back in the game. Kingdom restoration, church, how beautiful is that? It shuts the enemy up. What a powerful thing. We find that he's told to feed my sheep. Our church, there's something in there for all of us. And I want to say this. Whose sheep are we? Not a trick question. I've been going to seminary now, so I just raise my hand and say, Jesus! And seven times out of ten, I'm right. (laughs) Jesus! We belong to Jesus! You belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. Jesus says, mine. Doesn't say, Peter, feed my, your sheep and my sheep. He, he just says, they're mine. You know what, church? The head of this church, it's 130 years old, and it has had the same lead pastor. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus will always be the head of the church. And so we are his, and this is his bride. And he says, you are my sheep, and my job is Jesus is telling everyone here who gets to stand up here and preach, a small group leader, an elder, a deacon, the person who pours coffee, the person who does welcome, he says, feed my sheep. To you, a believer, as you walk around and you go to work and you say, well, I don't have this kind of purpose, feed my sheep, wherever you are. And yes, this is a call to a pastor, he's looking at a leader, he's looking at Peter, but he's saying that call, feed my sheep. We belong to Jesus. 
It's the most comforting thing. The most comforting thing is that we belong to Jesus. And church, we need to tell other people who don't know that they're co-heirs with Christ and that they belong to Jesus, that they belong to Jesus. You know, a, a few months ago, funny story but true, I found out that my older brother is a prince. I'm a half-brother. My mom called me out of the blue. Hey, I'm the queen mother. I was like, well, that's not how he works. He's a boy. I'm the queen mother. She was like, he's a prince. I'm like, no, no, back up. Tell me the story. Well, it turns out that he, my, my brother grew up uh, in, in another part of the country, and, and um, his granddad always used to tell them, I'm a king. <laughs> I'm like this crazy old man. I'm a king in South Africa, I'm a king, I'm a king. They're like, our granddad's crazy. And then years later, my older brother is 50. He looks this up, he goes to South Africa. They're like, the prince is back! <laughs> they kill a goat, they give him this cloak, and they show him a school named after his family. They go to the museum, the dude's like, yeah, mm -hmm. They give him land. I'm like, dude, you're a legit prince. <laughs> This is wild. 50 years, that dude walked around not knowing that he's a prince. It was so weird. So if you get an email from me saying, hey, my brother in Africa was a prince, needs money, it's real. 100%. But he didn't know who he was. Didn't know he was royalty. Co-heirs with Christ. And it's not just for us, it's not an exclusive club. Jesus didn't die on the cross and then they click, wink, wink, come to church, just you guys, everyone else, get out. No! Doylestown. Philadelphia. And he says, feed my sheep. What are we feeding them? What are we eating? I'll tell you this, church, and I'll close with this. We're not just feeding people anything. And you're not just eating anything. You know what? Jesus says this very clearly. That he is the word of life. You find that the disciples are like, hey, where can we go when you have the words of life? We find when Jesus is, 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 is speaking to the Samaritan woman, we find that Jesus says, hey, listen. Man, man, man doesn't live on bread alone and he's, he's quoting the Old Testament which means that this has always been the way that it is but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That church, this is the truth. This is what we're feeding people. The truth, undiluted, not catered to what we think the truth should be. The truth is the truth. And we're giving people Jesus because he is the bread of life. He is the one who sustains us. So what are you eating, church? What are you feeding on? Church, maybe we can go and find some things out of context and, 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 and have these spiritual Twinkies on TikTok because anyone can go up with the camera, turn their camera around and tell you this is the truth and this is the Bible and have 500,000 followers. But is it this, church? Are we feasting on this? Your spiritual growth, your life, your, 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 to go from glory to glory, your journey with Jesus, it doesn't come from this. 
It comes from you waking up or you opening this up and feeding your soul the word of God, the word of life, the words of life. John starts off, John, with this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And we know that the word became flesh, and that is Jesus. That is what we're feasting on, church. And so in this moment, church, as we, as we come into a place where, where we know where we belong, we know who we belong, we, we, we know what we ought to be eating, and we ought to know what we need to be handing out. Church, it's the truth and the truth alone. So, what are my takeaways this morning? It's very simple, church. When you fail, not if, (laughs) when you fail, run to Jesus. When you fail, run to Jesus. Because remember, that his arms are open, that he's a a friend of sinners. It was his nickname, (laughs) that he welcomes us and he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us wallowing in our sin, but he restores us and puts us back into a place of purpose. And church, when you lean on your own strength, remember that you're not strong enough. Lean into his love. He is the one who is strong. And when you forget who you are, church, remember, you belong to Jesus. And that can never be undone. I belong to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it brings us back to life. And so, Father, I pray. I pray, Lord, for everything that you've done in this service. Lord, I pray that you'd continue that good work. I pray, Lord, that those, Lord, that are in this room that are hoping, praying, seeking restoration, Father, that they would be restored, Lord, this morning, fully restored. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. For more ways to connect, visit our website at covenantdoylestown.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.